Welcome to After Hours at the Radio Book Club, which is a podcast collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. And today our guest is Peter Heller, his fourth visit to the Radio Book Club. And he's talking today about The Guide. We're here actually live at the Boulder Bookstore. And if you haven't yet listened to the broadcast edition of this, the other podcast, please do, because we talk a lot more about the book. But right now we're going to go to some of the audience questions, because as I said, we're just delighted to have a live audience. I think this is the most people I've not been related to that I've been in a room with for at least 18 months, so it's so nice. So we'll try to do some of these questions just as here. So first question, Peter. You mentioned earlier that you're wary of people, and that's a theme that uh, this person has noticed in several of your books. Why? Why are you wary of people? (laughs) (laughs) Signed, your wife. (laughs) I was born that way. <laughs> I guess I don't. I don't know. I mean, I I don't um, because I'm you know I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a um, you know recluse. I'm very gregarious. Uh, I get I get a, I'm an extrovert. I get a lot of energy from people, but uh, but I am but I am but I am wearing. Um, who who knows why? Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> Let's on to the next. <laughs> Well, I, I have one that's interesting, and, and I had written down a similar question, but not the exact same question. So in this book, which is not quite a sequel to The River, but you, you've opened kind of that Pandora's box where you've revisited a previous work. So somebody in the audience wants to know if you can please write a sequel to Celine. And I've had several people who've said to me, well, now that he's written a something connected to the river, when are we going to see Hig again? So those are the two questions. When, when's, where, is Celine, we're going to see anything more with Celine, and is Hig ever going to show up again? Right, so uh, it's interesting, you guys are so polite. I, I was at a book festival in Vermont, <laughs> where they're not so nice, and uh, <laughs> this woman grabbed me by the collar and pushed me against the wall and said, you're going to write a sequel to Celine. And uh, I said, yes. <laughs> with my fingers sort of crossed by my back but um, but yeah I don't know I mean really because because you know I mean I sit down to start when I start a new book I mean it's the it's the most fun thing I sit down and I just listen and I'm just listening for that first line and when you follow the music of the language into the story into the narrative rather than the other way around you always end up, I always end up after a few pages bumping into what is really on my heart, what really concerns me. With Celine, I started with a young woman uh, telling a story about being forced into her own apartment when she was seven uh, by her evil stepmom in New York City. And her father had disappeared uh, when she was uh, first year of college. He had, had vanished. and. Uh, he was pronounced dead. Um, it was a bear attack. They never found the body. But she thought there was something fishy about it. She, connect, she contacted a private eye uh, to try and find her dad if he was still alive. And that private eye was my mom. I mean, she was a private eye, an artist. And what I realized after her first few pages was that I really wanted to write a book about my mom because she had died the year before and I missed her terribly and I wanted to hang out with her for a bunch of months. And so when I use this method, you know, I do, I just listen for that line and trust that, that the language is gonna take me into the story that I really wanna write. 
And so, I, you know, if that happens with Celine or with Hig, that'll be, it'll be awesome. I mean, it was so, Jack was such a surprise, I have to tell you guys, and it was so great that, you know, to, to see him again. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of worried about him again. Uh, so, you know, he may, he may show up, but no, there's no, no guarantees in life. <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting is when I, when I tell, you know, I've been telling people the last couple of weeks, hey, we're doing an event with Peter Heller, I'm getting to interview him again, we, you know, it's the fourth time. It's always different. I love The Painter. The Painter is my favorite book. I love Celine. The Dog Stars is the greatest. I mean, people have such different reactions to your different books, and they connect to them in very visceral ways, but it's not, like most writers, you mention them, and there's one book that's very beloved, and then the other one, so yeah, I like that too, but Right. You seem to have a faction for each of your books. Is it, do you find that when you go yeah, and talk to Yeah, I do, and, I, and it means a lot to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy wonderful to reach people like that and to have to the different books mean different. Because, of course, when I'm writing them, you know, that is the most important thing in the world to me then, except for my wife, who's here. <laughs> uh, but really, I mean, that work is, you know, paramount, and it's the most important, and I love it the most, just the way, you know, we might love the child that is just born the most for, for that period. And so, um, so because I've connected so deeply with each one on its own, separately, it means a lot to me that there are pockets of readers that connect to each one, uh, you know, individually. I, I, just, I just love that. Well, one uh, member of the audience wants to know what you're writing about next, just so we can plan I just, uh, Kanaf just bought the next book. I just finished another one. And it's about an enforcement ranger in Yellowstone National Park who likes wolves much more than people. Uh, so, mm. all right. Sounds good. Um, so, I have a couple, I have a question here. Um, well, this person actually asked, Were you inspired by Lee Child? And then wrote, I think you already answered that. But, and, but, the other question on this card that I find interesting is, because I don't know if we must have asked you when we first interviewed you about the painter, but do you yourself paint, or have you studied painting? Because you, you do talk about painting quite beautifully, too. Yeah, I really, really love painting, and um, I don't paint. I, I can't even draw, you know, anything. But my mom was an artist, and she did paint some. She was a sculptor. Uh, my grandmother was a wonderful painter, and... Um, some of my very dearest friends are working painters, and I love to watch them. You know, Jim, Jim Stegner in The Painter is Jim Wagner, uh, the Taos expressionist who um, just passed a few months ago. Uh, and um, I, I loved going by his place. We would go fishing together. I'd go by, and I'd watch him work for a while before we'd go out, and I, and I, and I just loved it. And it there's something about the physicality of painting that I that I sort of envy, you know, as a as a writer. Well, writing is very physical. I and mean, when I'm finished, you know, my few hours of writing, I write a thousand words a day every every day when I'm on a novel, seven days a week. And when I'm you know when I'm done, I feel you know like physically exhausted, not just emotionally or, or mentally. Um, but I love the idea that you know you could just um, maybe shut your mind off completely and just be in this choreography with a with a you know with the scraper and the paint and the um, I, th I, th I think it's fantastic. It would be it would be great to to do, but I know. Well, somebody wants to know what the inspiration for King Fisher Lodge is. The 
Millionaire's Playground. Kingfisher Lodge is just, you know, I, um, I did a lot of magazine. When I got out of college, they didn't tell me that you can't make a living as a poet at the, art, at the English department, right? <laughs> they they, they should have told you. <laughs> so I had to make a living. I wrote, started writing for magazines, and I was a kayaker, so I, started, I wrote for outdoor magazines. And, um, and then as I learned to fish, I would take any assignment I ever could to a, to a fancy fishing lodge. I mean, it's so fun. The food's good. The fishing's always good. Uh, I learn a lot from the guides and everything. But the thing about going to fancy fishing lodges is after a couple of those, I realized that I'm much happier wading up my little creek outside of Paonia in, the, in my mountain creek than I am at any of these lodges because what makes them five star, if they're five stars, that, that is anticipatory service. And anticipatory service means that I come out of my little cabin and I'm walking down the path thinking, I'm going to go try the sauna. That sounds pretty cool. It's got a nice view. And somebody meets me halfway down the dirt track with a pile of towels. And I think that's creepy. I mean, I, you know, they're reading my mind before I, before I even know I want to, you know. And, and, and I have fished in places where they have camera lenses under the bridge. And I, I don't like that. I mean, I've just caught a fish, and I, I put my heart, heart inside. I had this deep, intimate experience with this other being, and I just let it go. And I look up, and there's a, I this feeling that someone's watching me. I don't, I don't like that. So I think part of the animus of this book was a, a, a reaction against this kind of um, private fishing setup, so which I actually hate. <laughs> what, are, what are those cameras for? Because the ones in... The guide are for you know nefarious nefarious purposes. purposes. But what, why do these fishing? Lines I don't know because you don't know who's you know that's the part of it. You know you don't know who's watching you. Is it is it the owner and you know um, Los Angeles or is it the you know is it the staff or is it the sheriff? Nah, probably not the sheriff. <laughs> He's got better things to do. Well, I, I hope it's not the owner. I mean, think about that. You're you're rich enough that you can own this five star lodge on a river and you know you're you're hundreds of millions of dollars you're probably worth and, and for some reason you feel the need to watch a camera you know like <laughs> that's pretty sad <laughs> i'm telling you man the super rich are you know a different breed <laughs> so anybody who's listening is a billionaire you know you're probably all right <laughs> <laughs> so i have a question something you've kind of touched upon with when you get into this writing and you're writing a thousand words a day seven days a week you get mentally exhausted physically exhausted so we have somebody who wants to know do you ever get so lost in your manuscript world that you have trouble re-emerging into your life? Um, not really, but when I, like, when I finished The Dog Stars, uh, I lay on my couch and I read it eight times. And it wasn't because I was being self-involved, it was because I did not want to let go of Hig. I did not want to leave him. You know, it was like, so part of his world, I was in it. And I, I just couldn't bring myself to say goodbye, you know, and... Um, so in that sense, yes, but yeah. What was that like for you? You had, you had worked in magazines. You had, you had written several nonfiction books. And to some extent, it was your dream to write fiction. And so to finish The Dog Stars, you had that finished manuscript. That must have been kind of an amazing feeling. Well, it was, it was wonderful, and I, and I loved it. I mean, I really loved The Dog Stars, and I thought, if I feel this way about it, and I'm a pretty discerning reader, and, and being a magazine writer, you have to, you can't have a thin skin, you know. It's like I, I sort of get used to when 
my stuff isn't that great and when it's, it's all right. And uh, I really thought this was good and I thought if other people think so, it's gonna maybe create a little bit of a response, maybe a clamor, I don't know, good or bad. And I thought I'd heard about the second novel syndrome and the sophomore effort, you know, the pressure that I can put on a writer. And so that's why I wrote The Painter right away because I thought I've got nine months until the, this comes out. I better write most of the next book before then so that I don't feel that pressure. You know, I've got that one window of free, free space. And so I sat down to write The Painter and uh, as fast as I could and um, I started writing along and, and when I was writing The Dog Stars, I, I would sit down at the coffee shop table and I'd say to myself, don't think, don't think, just listen. And then, you know, you've probably heard me before describe how it was like Higg was on the other side of this fire on an October night of a campfire and he was just, with the wind blowing the flames around, he was just telling me what happened to him a couple of years before. And it was like, I would, just, I would just listen for his voice and I would tell myself not to think. And it was the most thrilling thing I'd ever experienced in my life, ever. And, and so with a painter, I sat down, I started writing, and then I started thinking about it. As I said, I blocked it out. I started thinking, well, when should, he's got this commission to do this painting in Santa Fe, when should he go? And should the guy that he killed's brother, bent on vengeance, follow him there? And then I, then I started thinking, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> that can't be good, because I didn't think about the last one, and that, was, that worked out. So, so I was struggling with this, and you might have heard this story, but I was in Paonia in the very little, cough, tiny coffee shop where in the painter Jim Stegner meets his model, who becomes his friend. And, and I'm in there, and you're going to talk to anyone who's in there, and guess who was in there? Paolo Bacigalupi, the great science fiction writer. I mean, this guy's written big blockbusters. He's won you know, Hugo Awards, Andromeda. And we started talking about this conundrum, you know, that my struggle. And he's a lot younger than me, but he picked up his coffee cup and he said, sit down, son. <laughs> he said, I wrote two short stories. One, I completely plotted. I, I controlled every second of the story. I, oh, I, I, I planned how the characters were going to interact in every scene. I sent it in and won a war big award, and I love it. Second story, I sat down. I, it was a fugue state, sort of, and I woke up and it was done. I sent it in, it won a big award, and I love it. Now when I hold them both up, I can't tell the difference, and I love them both. And he leaned forward and he said, your job is just to make sure it doesn't suck. <laughs> and and it w you know, immediately the creative burden just lifted off my shoulders, because I thought, you know, that's something I can probably handle. <laughs> what he was really saying, which was so marvelous, was, look, you've written 100 stories. Rely on your craft. You know, you can tighten it up where it's slow, you can add stuff where you need to, you can move stuff around, you've got revision. But the other thing he was saying that was wonderful was, every story can have a different method, a mix of methods, you can totally control it, you can let it rip for a while, you can block it out if you want. Uh, don't sweat it, just make sure it's all right. And uh, I, th I thought that was really cool. Well, someone else wants to know more about your writing process. Um, you mentioned writing in coffee shops, so do you write, pencil, paper, on a computer, on a typewriter, what time of day, are you home alone, are you in a coffee shop, like what's your... Yeah, it's simple, I mean, I get up every morning, I have two cups of coffee that are strong, I sit on my porch, I love porches, <laughs> the man who built my porch is in the back, it's really, it's really nice, <laughs> thank you Isaac, uh, silver lining builders, the best. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, I, and, I, and, and then I go to the coffee shop and I have a latte 
two shots, and I write a thousand words. And I go just past the thousand words. I never let myself write less, but I go just past the thousand words until I'm in the middle of a scene that's exciting. And then I stop. I don't let myself run. And what happens is, I never used to write like that, but I read Graham Greene did a similar thing. He wrote 500 words a day and he stopped at word 500. And what I realized he was doing was stopping in the middle. And most of my author friends um, always, you know, if they get excited about a scene, they'll write through. You know, they might have their quota, but they'll, add, they'll blow past it, write 3,000 words, go, whew, that was awesome, and then go through the day. But if you, if you let yourself do that, you come back to a transition every day. Double return, white space. You might as well start the book over every frigging day. <laughs> and so I realized by doing this thing where I stopped in the middle, I would jump out of bed in the morning, I'd be in the, and I would have done that work that we talked about at night, the unconscious work, you know, thinking about how to continue, and it completely changed my, my relationship to my work. Because I was excited, I never had that feeling of, you know, in, that, that inertial, you know, it was like, I had momentum. And so, that's what I do. And I write a thousand words a day, seven days a week, until I'm done. And it's amazing how those words can add up. I mean, if a, if a novel is 100,000 words, you know, that's four months, right? And I don't edit as I go. I just let it run. So that's that. So I've got Maeve's favorite question. It's written on a piece of paper with just beautiful mountain drawing and pencil there. Very nice. What about films from your books? We're, we're, you know, they're, they're, all of them seem like they would make good films. Like they... They're written in such a way you think you know, a talented director could take it and run with it and do a fairly faithful rendering of it and make a nice movie. So what's happening? So they're all in development. You know, it takes the average time for a, uh, from a novel uh, being published to film is seven years, and, uh, which is a long time. So um, the Dog Stars, uh, Constantine Studio, a German company, they had, they had it for a long time. And, uh, finally, they, I stopped le letting them have the option. Uh, and the guy who wrote Revenant just bought it, and he wants to put it together and write the script. So I hope he's writing the script right now. Celine was optioned by the guy who uh, wrote and ran the Longmire series. He called me up and he said, I, I wrote, uh, I just spent seven years doing a series about my father, and now I want to do one about my mom. And Celine reminds me of my mom. And, we had a long talk about moms. <laughs> that was good. Um, the Painter uh, has a wonderful script written by the guy who wrote The Fighter. Um, has a wonderful director, the guy who did The Drop, and uh, it's out at, to talent now. You know, it's got fine. Endeavor just bought it. Endeavor content. So the, you know, they're all like that. You know, um, uh, but I don't get excited anymore. You know, when they call and they say, "Yeah, we're," you know, Brad Pitt really want love. You know, his people really love this. I'm like, great, okay, good. You know, I'll get excited when I'm eating the popcorn. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like Dog Stars now. I mean, my God, they missed the ball if they'd had optioned that and that was coming out now. When we were at the start of COVID, that was one of the first things I thought of. It's like I've read this book. It was Dog Star. Did right. you have shivers when this all? You know. When I say this, what we're living through I now. had shivers when I, the day they locked Denver down, it was like March 24th, I went fishing uh, on the South Platte right below Waterton Canyon in, in Chatfield, in, that, in those big cottonwoods there, and I was just fishing. I went through the gate that afternoon, and there was nobody at the gate. I mean, there is always somebody at the gate when the park's open, taking, checking your pass. 
There was nobody there. I drove by. I was like, whoa. There was no one in the parking lots. And I went and I parked. There was two pickups with fishing rod holders. And there were two guys fishing. They were both kind of wary, you know, and they kind of wave. But nobody stopped and talked to each other. And the suckers were running. And the dog stars, the trout are all gone. It's just suckers and carp. And, you know, most every, you know, I, I said, you know, what are you, what are you catching? The guy's like, you know, suckers. And that was weird. And I was fishing and the sun went down and it was kind of chilly. And I drove back up Wadsworth and all the businesses were closed and there was no other traffic. And I just got goosebumps. I was like, I feel like Hig, you know? Um, so that was strange. Yeah. Well, speaking of fishing, uh, somebody in the audience just has an observation saying they were glad to see that Jack had sense enough to use a stimulator in August. It's the best all-round fly for prospecting in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a fisher person here. I'm uh, looking around. Like, except they didn't say stimmy, but they, they probably meant that. <laughs> do you feel, uh, I don't want to say pressure, but do you, do you really feel you've got to get that the fishing stuff right because you just know anybody who writes it in detail about anything there's always somebody who is more detailed than you that will say hey you you shouldn't have been using that you that, that's no good in water under 58 degrees or you know whatever like do you I you know what I chose I have chosen to write about the two niche activities that are that are that are um, occupied by the most obsessive <laughs> uh, people on the planet fly fishing people and pilots. So when I wrote the Dog Stars All About Flying, and I was so, so happy to get one email uh, after the Dog Stars where a pilot said, hey, you misspelled aeroshell, the oil for the, uh, and I was like, cool, thanks, you know, I'll correct it, you know. But um, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's so great, but I have wonderful uh, vetters, um, you know, I have, I have a, a Great, great, great legendary fly fishing guide and um, older fellow in Wyoming who reads all my manuscripts, um, and you know he'll, he he will catch anything. So that's good. <laughs> Do you have any more questions? I I I'm I'm out of questions. We're out of questions. Well, it's been a terrific evening as always with Peter Heller. It's so great to have you here. So great, great to, to have see an you audience guys. here and. Yet another book for everybody to enjoy, The Guide. And I cannot wait for, I don't know, the films, whenever. They're all coming out. It's going to be even more to enjoy. As always, uh, the Radio Book Club is a collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. We're here live in the bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU and Arson Kashkashian, my co-host. Thanks, Arson. Thank you, Maeve. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah.